Welcome to Revved Up for Sunday, everybody. We're the clergy of St. Mark's Episcopal Church. I'm Elizabeth Garnsey. I'm Peter Walsh. I'm Justin Crisp. And today we come to the end of Lent and the beginning of Holy Week as we look at Palm Sunday from the Gospel of Luke. And uh, Palm Sunday has a great tradition going back, maybe one of the oldest uh, known continuously, uh, you know, continuously going rituals in our church life. And Luke has a particular set of details that might surprise us. Mm-hmm. Um, but here we go again, and we, we welcome you to this podcast, and we're grateful you're tuning in. So we hope this begins a very holy, holy week for us all. Let's hear the text. This is from Luke chapter 19, verses 28 to 40. After telling a parable to the crowd at Jericho, Jesus went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he had come near Bethpage and Bethany at the place called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find tied there a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Just say this, the Lord needs it. So those who were sent departed and found it as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They said, the Lord needs it. Then they brought it to Jesus. And after throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. As he rode along, people kept spreading their cloaks on the road. As he was now approaching the path down from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to praise God joyfully with a loud voice for all the deeds of power that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, order your disciples to stop. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the stones would shout out. Gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, Justin, you've had a cup of caffeinated coffee for the first time in a long time. Why don't you take the lead? <laughs> That's actually true. There's a coffee regular from Dunkin' Donuts, and I'm telling you, this is like, I, it's been two years, and I am on top of the world. I feel like Jesus here. Uh, we're not this being is, sponsored by Dunkin' Donuts. That's right. We're not. Sorry. Sorry about that. We're no, not we're being open sponsored. to it. <laughs> if Dunkin', have your people call my people, right? Uh, anyway, Jesus is on top of the world, as it were. Um, this is, to me, one of the most important passages in all four Gospels, because I think this is why it gets Jesus killed and gets Jesus killed in the way that he gets killed. So the Romans crucify Jesus as the king of the Jews. Emphasis there on king. This particular ritual act that seems to have taken place spontaneously historically, it doesn't seem to have happened with a great deal with... Okay, so the story here, as we get it in the synoptics, has some premeditation to it, right? Jesus is planning ahead. Uh, Many biblical scholars say it's rather unlikely that it was that premeditated. It's more likely that it was spontaneous, that you had uh, hundreds of thousands, potentially, of Jews who were coming in pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Passover. And Jesus and his disciples are caught up in this crowd, and somehow this emerges in the midst of this in the midst of this this act of, of pilgrimage um, in these days before the Passover. 
regardless of whether it's premeditated or spontaneous, when it happens, people would know what was going on. Jesus would know what was going on. There's no way that Jesus didn't know what he was doing here because Jesus knew Zechariah 9.9, which is a messianic prophecy. It's, um, uh, most of us know it from the extraordinary music that George Frederick Handel sets it to in Messiah. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And there's also uh, there's a resonance between this passage in the prophet Zechariah and the enthronement of Solomon in the first chapter of 1 Kings, where Solomon rides on the mule of his father David in procession to be anointed king of Israel and Judah by Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet. So the idea that the king of Israel and Judah is going to ride in, in a triumphal procession on a donkey <laughs> that's like somebody putting their hand on a Bible and taking the oath of office to be the president of the United States, right? This is a ritual act. This is a public liturgy, which everybody knows the meaning of. And whether it happened with premeditation or whether it emerged spontaneously out of this great, uh, incredible, incredible throng of Jews going into Jerusalem on pilgrimage, there's no way they didn't know what was going on. Jesus was being proclaimed a king. He was proclaiming himself a king and the Messiah. And everything else that happens during Holy Week unfolds in the wake of that fact. The other reason why I love this story is because it's incredibly likely that it actually historically happened. For one thing, it explains why Jesus would have been crucified in the way that he did. And that needs some solving, right? There are lots of ways the Romans could have killed people. They reserved crucifixion for particular kinds of criminals, namely political criminals or those who presented a threat to the established order of things. So the fact that Jesus is proclaiming himself as a king or being proclaimed a king would explain why he was crucified and not executed in some other way. But in addition, you have this particular story in multiple forms and more than just one form in the Gospels. So it has what scholars call multiple independent attestation. What that means is that in the synoptic Gospels, Mark, Matthew, and Luke, the story takes place in basically the same way. There are little differences here and there, but Matthew and Luke are telling the story mostly, the, yeah, mostly in the way that Mark tells it. So the idea is that Matthew and Luke could have learned this story from Mark, but John, John's telling of it has just enough differences to it that it doesn't seem that John just copied it out of Mark. And that means that you have two independent traditions around the time of the Gospels' writings that are both attesting to this story. And that makes it, scholars say, more likely that it took place historically. I mean, what I think this really does is um, people, are always, people are always asking me, or I have, I've often asked, how do we know that Jesus actually claimed to be all of these things that the Scriptures claim him to be, Right. Did he actually claim to be the son of man? Did he actually claim to be the son of God? Did he actually claim to be the Messiah? Maybe we just, maybe the disciples made all of that stuff up after the fact. Historically, the event which we commemorate in the liturgy of the Palms on Palm Sunday, it's incredibly likely that it actually historically happened. And it's incredibly unlikely that it would have happened in this way and Jesus wouldn't have known what it meant. This is Jesus saying, I am the Messiah. And the spiritual and the historical meaning of Holy Week unfolds in the wake of, of, of this story. Wow. I mean, this guy ought to have some more Dunkin' Donuts. <laughs> <laughs>
that was beautifully said. Uh, and I'll just respond to a little pieces and parts of it. Yes to all that you're talking about here. Uh, there's no doubt uh, that, that this is an, uh, an event of incredible meaning in, in the scriptures and in the life of Jesus. And uh, for those of us who are reading through the gospel according to Luke, if you were going all the way through it, you know, it says at 951, he turns his face, sets his chin on Jerusalem. So now mm-hmm. we're this is a climactic moment. We've been walking through nine chapters here, right yep. down the river and up. And now he's in Jericho. He's come, he's come up uh, that 4,000 feet. And, uh, over, you know, Bethpage and Bethany over the backside of the Mount of Olives. And, and, and there's, a, I mean, there's a church at the top of the Mount of Olives now that, where mm-hmm. you can sit on the donkey, basically. They have a statue of this. And he comes down this very steep hill. Uh, and with all of this messianic fulfillment of prophecy here, mm-hmm. which I, I don't actually think Luke does a great job telling us about because he's, right. dear Theophilus, he's writing it to Gentiles. So he doesn't unfold, he doesn't really unfold the prophecy. And that's where you get in Matthew where he comes down mm-hmm. the mountain on two horses, right? Yeah. Uh, 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 an, an ass and a colt and a donkey and a foal. You know, I mean, it sounds like he's, yeah. he sounds like, like he's, act. the circus act, that's what I was trying to get to. The big ass Sounds like that would hurt or to straddle all like those I know, this guy had incredibly open hips. I don't know, but uh, they, he comes down on this, the foal of the donkey with all of that going on. And, uh, and of course, as you said, there's differences. So this should be Cloak Sunday, I'm just going to call it, okay? Mm-hmm. Completely misnamed. Love that. Three out of the four Gospels have cloaks. Mm-hmm. Only John has the palms. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but it's, I mean, we should, we could, if we had Cloak Sunday, everybody take their coat off mm-hmm. in church, mm-hmm. hold up their coat, and then throw the coats on the floor of the church, and you process around on everybody's coats. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm just proposing a whole new way to do Palm Sunday here, but I don't think that's going to catch on. But uh, I'm open to it. Maybe if Dunkin' Donuts <laughs> wants to have something to do with it. Yeah. But, uh, so here we are at Cloak Sunday, and I'm just going to unfold what you said a little bit more. Yeah. Um, many, Many of you know this book. Uh, This book came along after my seminary days, but Marcus Borg and John Dominic Crossan in the last week, and they unfold this also, this Passover. I think it's amazing, anybody who's been in Jerusalem, that Jerusalem's not that big, that that many people coming for the the, the Passover. I I Mm. like your crowd thing. I mean, it says here, the multitude. So we always get, in Luke's gospel, the number of people involved with Jesus always increases, and the multitude is the highest Mm. number of that. And Mm -hmm. and, and it's not a gathering, it's a multitude. So we've got crowds. Uh, And and, and what uh, our, our two biblical scholars are saying here is on the other side of town, Jesus coming from the east, coming from the west, is uh, uh, Pontius Pilate. So mm-hmm. I always thought yep. before I started to study this, the Pilate lived in Jerusalem, but Pilate lives down in Caesarea on, on the water in a community built uh, for, uh, for Caesar on the water. It's incredible how they built this. They built this harbor. I mean, they, they sunk. They sunk. They essentially invited, invented cement to create mm-hmm. this. I mean, that's a whole other story about Caesarea uh, and, and how they come up the comes up the opposite way, but they, he comes up, Pilate comes up in power. So mm-hmm. Pilate, this is a fearful thing for Pilate. Mm-hmm. And so he has all the Roman guard. You just see some movie about Roman guards with, with, uh, with their chest plates and all their regalia and their white horses coming in. Power and empire and Caesar, who is also known as son of God, mm-hmm. coming in the other way to the fortress of Antonio, which mm-hmm. borders, if the Temple Mount is a square, the Antonio fortress is right here. Uh, and that's where the guard was, the Roman guard. And so Pilate would come up to keep, to keep uh, control of things here. So you got, mm-hmm. you got two sorts of empires, two sorts of king of mm-hmm. kings coming in. So you not only have Jesus in the Jewish Hebrew story uh, of Jesus as, as 
what a kingship might mean in the Hebrew world as son of David. Mm -hmm. And then we also have Caesar. We have worldly power on the other side with their kingship coming. So we have three kingships actually colliding Mm. as Jesus comes down the hill here. It's really, Mm -hmm. it's a fulsome, fulsome image uh, when you continue to build it out. Right. I, I, I have a slightly different take on Jesus, the Jesus presented to us in Luke than an all-knowing kind of um, self-identifying king. Mm. I, I think that this account is was much, much, much quieter and more subdued than even our tradition would have us remember. <laughs> and that everything in here, if you really look at the sentences, this, the disciples are doing everything. And Jesus sends two of his disciples. They get the cold. <laughs> they put Jesus on the cold. Then they say, you know, um, they, they put Jesus on it. Then they spread their, people spread their cloaks, but it's the multitude of the disciples praising God joyfully. You know, it's not a big general crowd you know, you might even argue this is not the same crowd that later in the week yell, hails crucify him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's the knowing disciples. They don't really understand still what Jesus is up to, but they get it right on this one road in Luke. <laughs> and, you know, he's, I think, purposely, I agree with you that he's definitely knows what he's doing. And he clearly has planned something. Well, you, you mentioned that maybe it was spontaneous, but I think he has in mind or he saw the opportunity yeah to draw a very clear contrast Mm -hmm. to what's happening Mm -hmm. on the west side of Jerusalem with the war horse and Caesar and chariots and soldiers and swords and spears and bows held high, um, you know, and that threat of violence, you know, behave or else. Mm -hmm. Uh, Where Jesus, you know, this proclamation of kingship comes with peace. Mm -hmm. You know, it's juxtaposed purposely with Peace. And Luke doesn't really quote that um, Zechariah passage, but it, it definitely echoes that. But I think Jesus is very specifically drawing a contrast. You know, I mm-hmm. mean, there are similarities that he chooses an animal that's never been ridden. You know, there's the, the kind of sacred ritualist nature of choosing an animal like that. Um, but it's, you know, it's a donkey, it's a colt, it's a humble horse. And, um, you know, it's, he's borrowing it. It's not, you know, something that he's um, taking as his own. Like a king could just sort of go and get, take whatever he wanted and the person would have to hand it over. But mm-hmm. here there's no resistance. There's no kind of, um, you know, this is mine. I mean, he does say the Lord needs it, but, you know, it's they reason with him. Why are you untying it? Well, the Lord needs it, so who's going to argue? But I, I, you get the sense they know who Jesus yeah. is, and they're all like, oh, of course, you know, Jesus can use this. And there's this, it's to me a, a, a moment of peace before the absolute calm where, where people are, he has the full support of his disciples, and they're not, mm. um, they're not in fear. They're joyfully going into Jerusalem for their Passover um, if anything, they, they're very naive, but Jesus knows that he's this kind of a king. If anything, he's going willingly into the jaws of death because of all that has preceded, you know, all the teaching, all the confrontation, all the, um, you know, bucking the tradition. And then when you get to the Pharisees who are like, you know, keep your yeah. disciples quiet. You know, you can't tell. They did warn him not long ago, like Herod wants to kill you. Why would you go there? You know, you almost get the feeling in Luke that the Pharisees sort of 
like Jesus, but mm-hmm. and they're afraid for him. They don't really want him to be killed. Yeah. Uh, or you could interpret it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like maybe that. they like the peace they have and it's good enough. Like they don't want to lose any of their their privileges they have if they are going to, if, if Jesus and his disciples are going to rabble rouse, they're like, mm-hmm. would you mind? You know, it's as good as it's going to get. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I don't know. I think Jesus is, is really, and he, and he, Jesus says to them, you know, I would, but it wouldn't do any good. You know, the stones would shout out. Mm-hmm. Um, the truth will come out, you mm-hmm. know, that I am this, I am the, a king, but not the kind of king the world knows. So... I think that's absolutely right. That's beautifully put at the end. The Romans get it right in the sense that Jesus is a king. They get it wrong in that they mistake the kind of king that Jesus is. Mm-hmm. And they're not the only ones who do so. Right, right. right. Uh, they're not the only ones who mistake the kind of king Jesus is. Um, you know, I, I'm also, I'm also really, um, I'm really interested in how big the crowd was. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very sympathetic, actually, to, to the idea that there's very few people, potentially, because one of the historical puzzles is why didn't the Romans intervene right then, right? The Romans mm-hmm. could have rolled in and quashed this thing mm-hmm. right then, but they don't do that. Now, they don't wait forever. They, it's not, we shouldn't mistake delay for indifference, right? It's mm-hmm. within a matter of days, Jesus is dead. Mm-hmm. But they don't just roll in and like mm-hmm. stamp this thing out immediately. And there are, you know, maybe there are a couple of possibilities. One could be that it's happening in the midst of the of the crowds which are coming to Jerusalem for the Passover. And if this is, E.P. Sanders says that um, it's potentially 200,000 to 300,000 people. And scholars have since, they've tried to lower that estimate and say that he was a little, he inflated the numbers. But I mean, even if it's 100,000 mm-hmm. Jews coming into Jerusalem, and yes, they would have come in like in the whole preceding week. It's not all happening on the same day or in the same hour. It's still a lot of people. It's a lot of traffic, as it were. Mm-hmm. And so if this is happening in the midst of that crowd, maybe the Romans would be like, hmm, well, Pilate's rolling into Jerusalem with like a thousand Roman soldiers, but if you, <laughs> they don't exactly want to, um, they don't exactly want to stir up a hundred thousand pilgrims. Uh, so maybe there's a, there's a little bit of like, you know, the, the crowds that give Jesus and his disciples cover, as it were, um, or perhaps this is, um, it's just not big enough to worry them that much at this mm-hmm. stage. Yeah. And then they have to be, you know, it takes, it takes the Sanhedrin, the Jewish high council, going to Pilate over and over again. You know, they have this long back and forth in the Passion narrative uh, that's read in the second half of the Palm Sunday service and also, again, on Good Friday. Um, yeah, they have this back and forth between the Romans and the Sanhedrin where they're, the, they're, they're, they have to argue that Jesus is, is a threat, right? So the, the Gospels dress this moment up, I think, to give it the spiritual weight that it had in truth. But historically, I'm really comfortable with it not being very big or remarkable, mm-hmm. right? I still think Jesus would know, if I'm going to get on the back of a donkey and go into Jerusalem, that means something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but I don't think necessarily that, I mean, the crowd, the multitude, right? That's the biggest number that Luke's going to give you. I think John says something like the whole world. <laughs> I mean, right. uh, you know, that, that's a little overinflated historically. Uh, spiritually, true. But I actually, I kind of love the fact that this incredible, this, uh, this is the triumphal entry of the Lord of the universe. And it's just a couple of people in the midst of a crowd on their way to go do something else. 
I actually love that. That sounds exactly like God to me. Mm-hmm. That sounds just like it God. It certainly sounds me. like Jesus. It sounds like Jesus, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I think that I have no need of this to be a big crowd at all. And I, and I'm, uh, I think that the, there was a big crowd. I don't think there was a big crowd with Jesus. Hmm. I'm, I don't know if you're following what's happening in the state of Israel today. And there's been three shootings hmm. uh, in the state of Israel. <clears throat> and uh, they always say, or not oftentimes you'll hear, on the verge of Ramadan, because violence comes uh, oftentimes mm-hmm. during Ramadan. In the Ramadan last year, set off the Gaza war uh, uh, issues in Ramadan, and so this was the same sort of issue that the Romans are having with the Jews. The Passover is mm-hmm. is, is sort of their their time of Ramadan, and so this is that's why Pilate's coming up is the is that the big crowds are drawn to there, just as during Ramadan, the the way that the Temple Mount or uh, is is handled by the Israelis is is very very touchy. So I, I think that mm-hmm. that's where the crowd is. Uh, and and secondly, uh, you know about Jesus. I mean, this is the opposite of the messianic secret. So now the messianic right. secret is over, right? Which over. He's been telling a few guys, don't tell anybody, and don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And now he's like, okay, man, have at it. Um, and and even like the Lord has need of it. The Greek of that is kind of, is, as you know, is totally goofy mm. because there, it's it's almost impossible to translate because it comes out like the Lord is Lord of the donkey. Mm. And the Lord is Lord of the guy who owns the donkey. Mm-hmm. Or, and so now you, got, you, you have this, and then you have the creator of the universe is Lord over, of course, donkeys and people, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So this is, mm-hmm. I mean, back to your mm-hmm. Lord of the universe coming in. And the Greek has a little that, mm-hmm. that, that it's super hard for us to, to translate. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, by the way, we've been talking about it for the first 23 minutes of the podcast. Thanks for hanging in here with us. Uh, Luke would kind of go, yeah, yeah, okay, but... And the okay, but there's two other things that we haven't talked about here. First of all, we don't, because it's Palm Sunday, we don't get the weeping over Jerusalem, which is mm, too bad right. because mm-hmm. yeah. the, the prophecy, his, his, Jesus has prophesied the destruction of Jerusalem, and then the cleansing of the temple. These are really the three things that are in on this day, mm-hmm. and so we're only getting like a bite of it. Mm-hmm. And I, you probably can't even understand this unless you see it in the context right. of the weeping over Jerusalem and the cleansing of the temple, because it's the cleansing of the temple when they, they're like, oh, man. I mean, we would interpret that as, oh, man, this dude's got to go, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And what That's he does right. to their religiosity. This is a little bit like the alabaster jar, the, 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 um, all the oil being poured on Jesus' feet that mm. we covered uh, in a week or two previously to this, two weeks ago. This Jesus cleansing in the temples is a seriously violent act. Uh, or interpreted as a violent act. I mean, nobody dies, but what he's doing is is a violent act. And so, yeah. so that I, I think that that whether or not who steps in, whether or not the, the Sanhedrin as the as the ruling council, and then it gets eventually brought to the Romans. Hey, the Romans just want peace. That's all they want. Okay, they're not they're not trying to convert anybody. They just don't want they don't want a, don't want a problem here. And it mm-hmm. says here, blessed is the king. So Luke makes the kingship a big deal more than the others. Who comes in the name of the Lord? Exclamation point. Peace in heaven. Okay, so this is not peace on earth. Peace on earth came with Jesus' birth. That's back in chapter 2. Now, we got peace in heaven Uh here. So, in fact, Jesus doesn't bring any peace at all. All Uh all sort of local proverbial hell breaks loose Uh when Jesus comes into town here. So this is... This is to say that what's happening here has heavenly consequences mm-hmm. and, and does have earthly consequences, but it does not bring peace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The king of peace does not bring peace. The king of peace brings, you know, all a kind of craziness where even the stones will shut up, which is one of yeah. the great responses of all time. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, you yeah. know, someone disses you, you just simply say, yeah, listen, I know I hear you, but even the stones would shout out. Right? This is <laughs> right. an incredible, incredible comeback. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a great figure of speech, and it's, you know, throughout the Bible, there's a lot of 
references to what the earth will do, you know, in response yeah, to God's right. activity. Mm, and I love it, you know, all the way back to Genesis with Adam and Eve, um, it talks about how their sin makes the thistles and the thorns grow up, <laughs> you know, and then Isaiah has peace will peace will reign when the cows and the bears graze together and the lion and the wolf lie down yeah. or the lamb and the wolf lie down together yeah. and then you've got um in at the crucifixion you know in matthew as you you alluded mm. the, the special star appears in the in the sky to announce jesus birth and then mm. when jesus dies the stones crack and the earth shudders and you know the stones really do cry out and mm. there's oh, an eclipse you know eclipse right. of the sun uh in all three synoptic gospels they talk about with at the moment of jesus death the the sky goes dark um, so I think that, you know, it's not a small response that he, or it's not a cast, a throw away mm-hmm. turn of phrase that he really means it. And, you know, Paul goes on to talk about how, uh, the reign at the final reign of God, all the earth, all of the creation will be set free from its bonds of decay. And, yeah. um, yeah. you know, it's a, it's a powerful thing in that those small words that you could shut the disciples up now, but eventually the entire earth will proclaim this this reign of God because ultimately, you know, all creation is God's and, mm. you know, God will come into God's own whether we're on board or not. So I really, I love that. I, this is one of my favorite um, things that Jesus says. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> totally. But, uh, well, any last words? This is, this is great, great discussion. I, I love so much of what, I've learned from you two today. Um, I, I feel like we should give a shout out to um, one of our most faithful podcast listeners, Annie Ray, uh, loyal, <laughs> loyal member of the Episcopal Church in Guilford, uh, sometime member of St. Mark's, uh, who, which she calls her mother church, independent scholar of the Messianic secret, practically. Okay, so Absolutely. all of that stuff from from uh, from uh, the rector over here across from me. That's straight up Annie Ray's alley. If anybody wants to know 100%. about the Messianic secret, look up Annie Ray in the YouTube comments, right, or in the Facebook comments. Uh, because uh, often, uh, anyway, thanks, Annie Ray, for listening. Uh, and That's you're good. totally right. The Messianic secret, over, right? And Mark, it's done. This is the moment that ends it. Um, I have to say, one thing we didn't, we didn't talk about, but which is my favorite line, is um, this is the exchange between the owners of the donkey and the disciples. Mm. And the fact that the owners of the donkey, whoever they were, gave the donkey to them, gave the colt to them. And I would like to think that if God sent people to me and asked me for something <laughs> and said, and I'm like, why do you need that? Why do you need that? It's probably something I'm going to like. Uh, and said, the Lord needs it. I pray that I'll have the grace to give it up. Oh, that I is don't know, though. awesome. I really so now know. we know if you need Justin's car. No, no. Oh, gosh. It. The Lord has need of it. We're going to have to argue about that. Right. <laughs> Who said the Lord needs it? Who's, that, that anyway. nice whiskey that's that a great yeah, 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 yeah. That's, yeah, really, that's, right. that's, that's really beautiful. That's cool. Yeah. Gorgeous. That's really cool. Rector? No, I'm done. Okay. Thanks for, <laughs> thanks for listening, everyone. Have a very blessed Holy Week. And please share and like and subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll see you next time. Be well.